the blubbering drunkards of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, are like the fate of Samaria, which is, it's, it's, all, it's all code word for the same stuff. Israel, Ephraim, Samaria, the northern kingdom. Uh, and Isaiah mentions the fading flowers on the head of the rich drinkers are like the fading flowers on the city of Samaria. <clears throat> now, the city of Samaria. Uh, I, I, I could, I'm wrong, I could be wrong on this. I'm having a feeling that this city of Samaria may be Terza, T-A-R-Z-A-H, which was renowned as a beautiful city. I'm not sure that's right. It may be a, maybe the capital of Samaria. I mean, it may be another one. But anyway, these cities were noted for their beauty up in Samaria, right? So Isaiah is saying, well, you know, that's all going away. Pretty well, soon. where did you get Samaria uh, from here? Where did I get Samaria? Yeah, where did you get Samaria from here? Uh, well, it's not in there, is it? Samaria is the capital of Ephraim. Samaria, yeah. It's the, the capital of the northern the kingdom up there. Yes, okay. oh, right. Right. Um, okay, verse 2. Uh, mentions uh, where we have the early figs. Yes, verse 4. The fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be like a first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand. So, verse 4 the early figs then were quickly eaten. And so, for Samaria, and the beauty of Samaria, quickly gone. It's like the first ripe fig, and it, it's eaten up by Assyrians. Okay. Uh, it will be destroyed by Assyria. That's the prophecy. So he's making an analogy with the fruit that's gone that quick, destroy you that quick. This, up in Samaria, yes, that's right. That That is exactly it. Uh, verse 5 and 6. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Um, so speaking of crowns or diadems then, uh, for the remnant of God's people who follow him, he becomes a spirit of justice and a spirit of strength to those who follow him. And that's true for us today. I mean, no matter how much we or you may be groaning and moaning about the political situation or the collapse of our world, uh, well, I mean, God's going to give us a spirit of justice and, and a spirit of, uh, how does he put it? A spirit of strength. So take heart. I mean, we belong to Christ. I mean, what? How, how bad could it be? We belong to Christ. <laughs> okay, verse 7. Back to the uh, drunkards. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. Look at that. Rather than, rather than them swallowing the wine, the wine swallows them. Man. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. Wow, what a horrible uh, picture. So, 
well, in Samaria, whoever those Levites are up there, and there were a group of them, uh, they're not doing us any good. I mean, these so-called men of God up in Samaria are not doing us any good. They've been caught up in the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age. They've been caught up in the spirit of this world. And they're doing obeisance, as we see today, to the God of this world. The God of this world is, as you know, Satan. Satan. And look at how many people are paying homage to the God of this world. You know, All kind of political entities. They have to decide where they're going to come, come down on. And most of them are going to come down on the side of the God of this world. You've got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. So they're going to serve these doctrines of demons about gender changing and all this stuff. They're going to serve that. So the big companies, the big companies, I think these guys are smarter than, than, than we think they are. They know there's a spiritual war going on. And they have to decide what side they're going to come down on. They come down on the side of the God of this world. That's how they come. That's where they come. Some churches come down on the side of the God of this world. Christ uh, said you cannot serve both God and money. You, you can't. He that's friends with the world is an enemy of that, God. That's it. I mean, it's on it. Scripture just repeats itself on, I mean, on and on and on. So I'm trying to encourage you here today. Don't be afraid of the God of this world or serve Him. You know, Hey, we get our jobs in the world. We work in the world. I, I do understand this. But actually our paycheck comes from Christ. And so if you can see that, then everything changes. I was just saying there's a tremendous rise in America of uh, going back to old religions. You know, they're like veils and so on. You know, really? Yeah, they're just going back to that. You know, going, going back to devilish. Well, everybody needs a religion. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Be encouraged. We belong to Christ here. All right. So, but but the point I think I'm trying to make here from Isaiah is this kind of stuff has been going on for a long time. Okay. This is back in Isaiah's day. You might say there's nothing new under the sun. We might even say that. All right. Verse. Okay. In verse eight, then I'm not going to read it again. But the mad drinking party is over. And we're simply left with the results. To spiritualize a little bit, our madness and following doctrines of demons is over, and we're simply left with the results. Okay. Verse 9. To whom? Now, uh, this is not clear here, I think, in verse 9. but my note in my Bible says the hardened, insulting leaders speak against Isaiah. I think that's right. I think in verses 9 and 10, which is a famous verse, I think it's the apostate religious leaders now are talking back to Isaiah. Basically, they're saying, who are you, you know, to, to do this? And if someone, we'll get a comment on this, if someone would be willing to look up John chapter 9, Verses 24 through 34, we have the same kind of thing. Okay, here we go. In verse 9. What was the John reference? Verse, uh, John chapter 9, verses 24 to 34. Then, in verse 9, these no good, 
are useless in a way religiously or speak back to Isaiah and they say, to whom will he teach knowledge? To whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk and those taken from the breast? Are we a bunch of ninos here in the scripture that you've got to teach us all this stuff? And then, are you, is this the way it is, Isaiah, for it's precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little, there little. This is said with a mocking tone here. This is used as a positive way, sometimes in Bible teaching, that we have to teach the Bible this way, precept upon precept, line upon line. Well, I mean, all right, but I mean, that's not the context here. This is mocking here. In Hebrew, there's a nice baby sound to these words here. I've got, I've got it written out here. So in Hebrew, precept upon precept, line upon line, sounds this way. Tsab la sab, tsab la sab, kav la kav, kav la kav. It's just babble, 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 similar sounds, you know. So this is a mocking uh, statement here. In John. No. no in, Isaiah. Oh, in Isaiah. In Isaiah. We haven't gotten to John. No, we haven't. But the religious leaders are the apostate religious leaders are always the same. John chapter nine verses twenty four thirty four. If someone read it. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, "Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner." He answered and said, "Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see." <laughs> Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> then they reviled him and said, you, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You are completely born in sins. Are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Are you going to teach us? We're the theologians. But you know, a man or a woman with a testimony or an experience, an experience always overcomes um, erudition. The person that has an experience with Christ, it's irrefutable. I mean, you know, experience is experience. <laughs> How can we refute it? But the religious leaders don't like that. Always in danger of taking what, <coughs> taking our beliefs and trying to force the Bible to fit our beliefs also, instead of the other way around. Also, letting the Bible teach you what what it wants. You know, there, I mean, yeah. that, that, all of us are guilty of that to a degree. You know, I'm trying to make scripture fit what I believe. Well, that's true. So you have to manipulate them to do that. Yeah. So, so we don't want to do that if we can get out of Okay. So I'm just pointing out here. There's a tendency. And Lord knows, I mean, I studied scripture for years, and so have many of you. <laughs> and we have scriptural knowledge. 
but I mean, we don't want to let it just become Pharisaism, you know. That, well, I, I know, and you know, nobody can tell me anything, which unfortunately is the human condition. So we have to try yeah. to overcome the human condition, overcome our human condition. Somebody wanted to talk, me. No, somebody did. No. Craig did. Well, <laughs> yes, I, I thought so. I, 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 I had left over from the study of John. The, the Pharisees here in, in John land on the same point where the disciples were at the beginning of the chapter when they asked, who, who sinned here, the man or his parents? So their focus is utterly on the problem and they reject the remedy. The guy, the guy says, look, I can see now. What else matters? And they say, forget it. You're, you're done. You're done. We're done with you. We cast you out. That's, a, that's, that's really amazing. It's bad, isn't it? That's an amazing story. Yeah. Human blindness. All right. He's a real blind person. Okay. <laughs> that would be the moral application. Yes. <laughs> Let's go back to Isaiah in verse 11. Isaiah then says, For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. In other words, if you don't like this baby talk that I'm giving you, how will you like it when the Assyrians begin to instruct you? Yeah. You can't understand their words. Yeah. No, but around. With, with sword and lance, they're going to teach you some stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, verses 12 and 13. Uh, to whom has he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they would not hear and the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward, be broken and snared and taken. So uh, 12 and 13, uh, the Lord has already spoken to you to rest in Him. You're the theologians, you know. So uh, basically, uh, just do what you know. Just the simple words of the Lord, good. So do that. And don't let it become baby talk to you. Okay, verses 14 and 15. Now we're going to switch to Judah and Zion. Verse 14. Uh, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. Now we shift the geography. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol we have an agreement when the overwhelming whip passes through us it will not come to us for we have made lies our refuge and in falsehood we have taken shelter Isaiah being uh, ironic here uh, so back, back down to Jerusalem and they're still depending on Eden which Isaiah has mentioned before it's basically a covenant with death if you depend on Egypt I think if we wanted to have teaching for ourselves, if we're putting confidence in the world system and depending on that, it's basically a covenant with death. So depend on Christ. I mean, He's your source. So Egypt here's the picture of the world. Yes. The world yes. Babylon. Absolutely. And if you're trusting in that, it's a death. It's a death. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's go on. Um, verse 16. Therefore, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever 
believes will not be in haste. Now, the apostles use this to refer to Christ. Okay. Now, if, if I were reading this with all the exegetical tools that the modern scholar has without any knowledge of the New Testament whatsoever, I'm not sure I could see that that's Christ. But the apostles say, this is Christ. If the apostles say it, then that's what it is. Okay? So, let's look at Romans 9, 30-33. Uh, let's see, who wants to get that one for us? Uh, Craig, Romans 9, 30-33. And Connor, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-9. through 9. Ready. I'm ready. Romans 9, 30-33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Yeah, whoever believes will not be in haste. And that's a paraphrase there about that stone. So God is, is placing a stone. The stone actually is in Israel. And everyone who stumbles over the stone is going to be crushed to powder. But those who believe in him will be saved. I mean, so so that's it. The stone, Connor. First how, Peter. How far do you want me to go? One through nine. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. There's that milk again. That by it you may grow up in a salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone inside, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, quote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Well, so God establishes this living stone in Zion. And it's our Lord Jesus Christ, of course we know. And he becomes the living stone. So those that repair to him have life. Those that don't are crushed by the living stone. So it's just... It's just either or, you know. I mean, either you're in or you're out. You know? So there we go. Uh, again, there are several passages that are quoted in the New Testament from the Old Testament. If, if I didn't have the New Testament, I, I, I wouldn't see it. I mean, I'd be, be as great a Bible scholar as possibly could exist. I wouldn't see it. But since the apostles have that special ability to interpret the Old Testament, 
when the apostles say it, then it opens it up for us. All right. The, the reference yeah. to the uh, stone which the builders rejected is from the Psalms. Yes. So that predates Isaiah's use of cornerstone well, by about okay. 400 years. All right. So he's really continuing yes. that scriptural tradition. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these patterns, yeah. um, things that comes up a number of times. Yeah. So they should have been, I think they would have been aware of that. They're ready. Often I like the verse in Ephesians that sort of applies this to the household of God are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself in the church. That's it. So again, we have that house of living stones, you know, and the apostles and prophets, and Christ himself is a cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets, they were built up into this house as living stones. And so this would occur to believers both of 500 years ago and believers today too. I mean, we're all in that same way. Well, you know, some people say that he only goes think of Jesus as a carpenter, but he could have also been a stonemason. So, and I, and I love the reference to the way you measure and the way you, the way you plumb. Yeah. You have, you have cornerstone is the most important stone in the building, and so it has to be perfect in a sense. It has to be measured exactly the size that you need it, and it has to be plumbed level the exact way you know, so Otherwise, everything else is going to be out of whack. Your house is going to look like that. It's like a skew. So it's also, and the way that he uses it, the instruments that he uses yes. to create that, um, justice is the measuring line and righteousness is the plumb line. You know, so, and, uh, wow. so, so that's God using you know, right, judge, judge, uh, justice and righteousness to be able to create this stone. You know, there you that's go. A, that's a great description of Christ himself. Oh, yeah. You know, Very good. The stone of the church. Yeah. Well, well, we'll read it again. 17, I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overwhelm the shelter. So this is a little bit like the wise man built his house upon the rock, you know, and the foolish man built his house on the sand like the children's song goes. It's right out of the Bible, you know. So we're building our lives on Christ here. This is the idea. Uh, okay, verse 18. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through and day by day and by night. It will be sheer terror to understand the message for, for the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. Well, uh, okay, he's speaking to Judah now and Zion. These God-appointed enemies will continue to come through. But you need to build your house on the rock. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's not talking about all of us or just the, those that are outside of Christ, but maybe those that are in Christ also uh, in this world, you know, you will have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. So if it's talking about us, sometimes the bed is just too short and the cover's not enough to cover up with. In other words, it's, there's just this irritation, you know, that goes on with the world. I mean, we're, we're irritated. 
we're irritated about it. But I think as Paul would encourage us, the more we talk about it, and I'm talking about it now, the more we talk about it, the more it lives in our imagination. So perhaps better to set our mind on things above, as the apostle would encourage us. Nick. Well, I was thinking too, because this, this line says, your covenant with death will be annulled. You know, scripture is constantly reminding us of these covenants between God and man. Covenants are hard to break without some kind of repercussion. Thank you. So, so God breaks our covenant with death, but even still, there are still elements in which death fights back, or Satan fights back against these covenants that we had against us. Yeah. That we are now aligned with a better covenant. Uh, Amen. I'm, I'm just, that's just off the top of my head. No, I'm thinking no. through Amen. that anymore, but yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, in the con- immediately here. Judah is again thinking about making this covenant with Egypt. I mean, that's what they're always doing. And and Isaiah is calling it a covenant with death to spiritualize the passage a little bit. You know, we're born in a lost condition. <laughs> so we need to break that covenant with death and believe in Christ. It gives us life. People always say, no, I, can't, I can't become a Christian because I, you know, I'm afraid of what God might want to be. How about you try to like me, uh, but make me into a missionary? Send me to Africa. I mean, people, you know, or, or I've got too much other stuff going on right now in my life. I can't, I can't do it. You know, I can't. You know, so, uh, it's, it's hard to let go of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we're almost all the time going back to it. It seems like it's crazy. Uh, all right. Verses twenty-one and twenty-two. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon. He will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed, to work his work. Alien is his work. Now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord of God of hosts against the whole land. Sometimes it's difficult to know who's speaking in these passages uh, I think it seems in this the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim in the valley of Gibeon and so forth uh, it seems like the elders in, in uh, Judah are saying look remember these stories uh, remember the story of God overcoming the Philistines at Mount Perizim uh, I don't remember the story totally and remember how God overcame the Canaanites at the battle in Gibeon. In other words, God is on our side. Yes. God is on our side. And Isaiah, I think, is saying, well, maybe God is not on your side. Uh, as we begin to engage in all kind of wickedness, why should God be on our side? So false prophets, prophets were using these stories to say that God is on Judah's side. Uh, and Isaiah, I think, is saying, well, maybe not. I don't know about this doing his strange deed and his alien work. It almost seems like Isaiah is speaking here again, but in terms of what I saw in it, God is about to arise to do his alien work. What does alien mean? Not Not from around here. Strange, strange, foreign. Well, you already said earlier in the chapter that 
it's going to, he's going to speak through the lips of the stranger, did he not? Was that not Okay, good, stranger? yes. Thank you. That that helps a lot. So we have we have we have this, this flip where, you know, on the one hand Israel's trying to make this covenant of death with the foreigner, and that's a bad thing. But God's gonna make his covenant with the foreigner. And that's gonna be a good and thing. And they're gonna instruct you. And that's that we benefit from that. We are the foreigner that God makes a covenant with. Indeed. And that's a strange word. As we become the Israel of God or the yeah. true Jews. I don't know how people, I mean, I don't have anything against the nation of Israel, but I don't know how these people that are just so grooving on what's happening in Israel, you know, as the people of God, I, I just don't understand why they haven't read the book of Romans. I mean, Paul's like beating his head against the wall and saying, this is what makes a true Jew. You have to have your heart circumcised by the Spirit of God. These are the true Jews, not people necessarily that are living in Israel. I just I just don't quite get it. But anyway, that's you know, really for the religious leaders of Jesus' time, <clears throat> when he comes speaking, it's like he is it's like he's an alien. It's like he's speaking strange words yes. himself. Yes. Uh, you know, and that's so they hate him for it in a sense. Yes, and that's where I was really gonna go with this, but I think Congress has really hit it on the head too that yeah, well maybe maybe foreigners are going to come in too and speak the word of God how, how are you going to like that when um, in that part of Romans that we read uh, Paul is using this stuff about the cornerstone the quote from the cornerstone addressing how the church is made up of Gentiles and not Jews <clears throat> not Jews necessarily well yeah, 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 yeah Israel yeah. and not the, the body of the nation of Israel. Not the nation itself, yes, correct. I also was going to talk about when God does his alien work, the old theologians talked about our alien righteousness. Uh, and as you said, alien is strange and from somewhere else and so forth. And what they meant was we're standing in the righteousness of Christ, not our own. We have to be standing in, a, in an alien righteousness. <laughs> to be made right with God. It's not our own. And that was just a term they use. You don't hear this so much anymore. We're sojourners and pilgrims around yeah. this world. We have a home that's better than this. We're looking for a new home. That's it. We're just passing through. So. Yep. Yeah. All right. Alien righteousness. Okay. Verse 23. Verse, uh, let's see. Yes, 23. Uh so this is a long passage here on farming and producing fruit. And I'm just going to say here that the Lord's wisdom is illustrated in all these wonderful things that he has taught to the farmer. So well, from the beginning of time, I mean, farmers have become pretty clever in knowing what to do, how to make the plants bear, and so forth. Uh, so God, Isaiah's point is that God gives the farmers this knowledge about how to make the vine fruitful. And uh, there's an analogy here then with Israel that eventually God also knows how to make Israel fruitful. Yes. Okay. All right, verse 23. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? 
Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat, put wheat in rows, and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, but dill is beaten out with a stick, and cumin with a rod. I must say, I don't know about any of this stuff. This is all farming here. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And that's the end of the chapter. I think the point is that God knows how to make things bear. Uh, he knows how to give wisdom to the farmers in the same way he knows how to make Israel bear. So, so Israel won't be totally destroyed as the enemies come through, but it will uh, it will perform its, uh, its predestined purpose, which is to give birth to the Messiah and possibly to be regathered in these last days. So, I like, I like the concept too that if a farmer just kept plowing his field over and over again, you know, oh yeah, I got to plow the field, it's never non-stop, or I got to crush the grain, I got to keep crushing that grain until there's nothing left, you know, and, and you don't throw bread on there and crush the bread after it's made. I mean, it's just, you, you know, farmers are not, if you're a stupid farmer, you're not, you're not going to get it, you, you won't last too many seasons. No, you're not going to last. Uh -huh. So, so you have to figure out exactly, I mean, and, and that's what God teaches you based upon the way the weather works, the way exactly. the soil is, the way, you know, and, um, you know so uh, he's, he's the ultimate farmer anyway. He, he made the Garden of Eden. He made, he, he made all the plants. He does, so, yeah. So. That's it. Well, thank you for your attention, and we will stop here. Connor will pick up on chapter 29 next time. <coughs>